0: The reading this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through chapter 2, verses 8. Hear the word of the Lord. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation." These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning. Um, I I think everybody remembers their first job. I know, I remember mine, it was at a new pizza joint in town uh, around Columbus, Ohio, Ohio, a little town called Hilliard. It was called East of Chicago Pizza Company. I remember like getting through the interview and driving home with like this hunter green polo that would eventually be caked with like pizza sauce and all this other stuff and like walking in the door and saying, mom, I got the job, you know, I was so excited for like a day. And then we did training (laughs) and... uh, and they had their grand opening and they sent out all these, you know, postcards for free pizzas. So it was the first day, it was a Friday, um, and it was about 98 degrees outside. And my job, I was like right next to the oven, okay? And the HVACs, the, the, you know, the heating, cooling, and ventiling, and, and all that stuff, that didn't work so great. And so right next to the oven, it felt like you were standing in a sauna in the middle of the Sahara Desert. It was great. Um, so I'm sweating buckets. And then, of course, on top of that is the stress because in that, that role, every pizza that comes through, it's my job to connect it with the receipt and make sure it goes to, like, delivery, dine-in, buffet, you know, or, or pickup. And, and so at this time, it was so swamped that the line was going out the door. People were yelling. The staff were yelling at staff. They were yelling at customers. It was a mess. And so stuff was lining up, literally backing up out of the oven. And I hear people yelling, hey, is order number 52 ready? Or can we push those breadsticks through? No, they're raw. That's disgusting. Like, no, we're not going to do I thought this was pickup. No, it's actually delivery. Ugh. You know, and this would go on and on and on from about 6 p.m. till about 1230 a.m. <laughs> You know (laughs) yeah i remember i was sweating out of like every orifice i had yelling like coming from every direction and i was trying not to cut my fingers off you know because i you know oh this you know eight pieces you know six pieces and i was so stressed i remember going home and i'm not joking here i went home and when i went to bed i'd wake up multiple times in the middle of the night i don't know if you've ever experienced this but i woke up and i have those same people around my bed standing there and they're saying where's my pizza And it was like a sixth sense kind of moment. Um, I was like, I see those dead people. You know, like there they are. And I'd say, okay, they're not real. And then I'd look at these not real people and I'd say, you're not real. I'm going to bed. Like, and I'd lay down. I still hear them yelling. And I thought maybe my mom thought that I was going nuts. But in that same moment, I'm like sitting on my pillow, hearing these people screaming for their pizzas or at least thinking. And I'm like, I'm going to quit this job. I am not going to do this another day. This is not worth it. Now, the reality is I didn't quit the job, not because I had some iron will or anything like that, but mainly because I needed the cash (laughs) to pay for insurance, gas, and anything. You know, I wanted to do fun with my friends because growing up in a single-parent home, we didn't have this mythical creature I've heard about that lives in people's bank accounts called disposable income. Um, We didn't have that thing. So if I wanted to dispose of income with time with my friends, it had to be my income, so I did what a lot of people do, and maybe what you did, you know, last Monday or last Friday is you got to you looked in the mirror, and you said, I can do this one more day. <laughs> one more day, you know, I can stand next to the oven because it's just a job. Yeah. Stay calm and remember, it's just a job. I mean, how many of you have said that before? How many of you said that last week? Don't raise your hand, right? I mean, it's just a job. and We've thought about it. We've said it. We've mumbled it under our breath. And what we mean, what I meant when I was talking about East of Chicago Pizza Company is that the only good thing going on in that job, the only reason to keep clocking in on Monday or sitting behind your desks on Thursday or cutting pizzas on Friday, the only reason to put up with your, you know, boss that feels like he's overbearing or those employees that never seem to show up on time is the money, 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 right? Like there's like power in a paycheck that if you baptize it with a ba- paycheck, you pay your dues, you do your time, and then finally you've got something, something to do what you really want, right? There's, there's something about this money. Yeah, you're gonna pay your bills, but, but you also, you wanna be able to worship the Holy Trinity of the American dream. You know what I'm talking about, like to treat yourself in the name of the weekend, vacation and early retirement, like that. <laughs> that's what many of us live our lives in light of it's just a job but where does that come from i mean i know our jobs are hard. like a lot of jobs are really hard and i know there's a lot of work out there that's unjust that is truly brutalizing and dehumanizing. I get that. But then simultaneously, the magi- there's, there are so many jobs that really people have the opportunities to live out their passions and gifts. There are a lot of jobs where people can have good work with good wages. There are a lot of, there are a lot of that. But so, so why is the most common refrain, almost we can all fill in the sentence, that when we talk about work, well, often we think it's just a job. It's just a job. It's something that I do the majority of my life to finally do what I want to do with a minority of my life. Doesn't it feel like there should be something more? Like something deep down within all of us that aches for there, for there actually to be more to that story? I mean, it's just a job. Is that even a story worth living? If you're new with us, uh, we're, we're kind of walking through a series, not kind of, we are. We're walking through a series um, trying to tackle and pressing into some of these ideas, these gut level assumptions, reactions to the way we live our lives. It's the water we swim in without even realizing it. And and listen, these stories, they shape us as people. They form us as individuals, as communities, as broader economies within cities. And there's nothing more important than the story you tell yourself about what is true, about what is worthwhile. There's nothing that shapes the story of your life and where you're headed more than that story. It's just a job. And and listen, there's maybe no more important story because of the amount of time, the amount of energy we invest in our work than the story about our work. I mean, is your job just that? Or is there something more? Well, the good news is that God hasn't left us scrambling here, right? As we wrestle through this particular baseline assumption, he hasn't left us to kind of go figure this out all on our lonesome. No, God has actually spoken into this issue. And one book that's really helpful is the book, of Genesis here within scripture. The book of Genesis, it's more than, so often we think it's just a book about how and when the world was made, but it's much bigger than that. You see, this was a story that was given to the people of God as they're leaving Egypt, a a new story that, that combats the enslaving stories of Egypt and the hopeless stories of the people of Canaan. Instead, there's something much deeper and richer about the story of our work that God wants us to know about in the very ways that we're wired. And this story, it's timeless. You need this, I need this this time Tuesday because tomorrow you'll probably be cooking some burgers or sitting on a pool or whatever you're going to do or maybe sitting by a faux lake. That'll come later. (laughs) But we need this story this time Tuesday. If we're ever going to wake up and go into work with the purpose that God has given us to engage it. So let's take a look together. If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles, Bible apps to Genesis, um, chapter 1, which that should be easy because it's page 1 in your Bible, like literally it says page 1. You've got a lot of other Roman numerals before that, but it's page 1. And as we mentioned, uh, as as we've been mentioning each week, listen, this is a huge topic, this understanding or this thought process when we look at our work that it's just a job. And we're not going to be able to tackle everything when it comes to this broader assumption, okay, But what we'd like to do is provide an avenue for you to continue to text in questions. There's a number behind me in which you can text in questions during the sermon, after the sermon, throughout the service, tomorrow when you're eating burgers or whatever. And then on Tuesday, not Monday, Tuesday, we're going to wrestle through some of those questions on Facebook Live to keep the conversation going. Okay, so I hope you can continue to participate if you like Facebook at all. I don't know. I always don't know if it's old or it's new or what it is, but there it is, Facebook Live. We're going to be wrestling through some of those Questions. So, as we turn to Genesis today, look, there, one thing I want to start with is how this phrase, it's just a job, resonates with a lot of what we experience in life. With, where How this phrase, it's just a job, has a lot of truth in it. Over the past couple weeks, we've been walking through Genesis and we saw that, yes, after God spoke the world into existence and we find his crowning jewel in humankind, when he gets to it, we heard it read this morning. When it's all been created, he says over it that it is very good. It's very good. But then you jump ahead to Genesis 3 and suddenly down in verses 17 and 19 thorns, and pain, and struggle, and sweat, like the kind of sweat next to a pizza oven kind of sweat, like they they make their debut. In other words, okay, work gets real hard. Raising kids, growing crops, working with other people feels more like a battle rather than the natural flow of things. And it's all because Adam and Eve, the first couple, they wanted to take God's place in God's world. And listen, now we still feel that, don't we? In a very real sense, work is just a job for every, everyone sometimes. Work is just a job for everyone sometimes. Pain, struggles, sweat. I, I was recently, I just re- reread a New York Times article titled, Why You Hate Work. It's from 2014, but I think it's still really relevant today. Just listen to this. The way we're working isn't working. Just 30% of employees in America feel engaged at work, according to a 2013 report by Gallup. I don't think there's a whole lot of difference there from today, from 2013 in this regard. Around the world, across 142 countries, the proportion of employees who feel engaged at work is just 13%. For most of us, in short, work is a depleting, dispiriting experience, and in some ways, it's getting worse. Work is just a job. For everyone sometimes. I mean, sometimes we don't get to do what we want to do. A lot of times it feels like the majority of our work is doing what we don't want to do. Or you're, you're, you're having to mess with or deal with an overbearing boss. Or you, sometimes your employees are slacking off or that client just will never seem to commit, no matter how many conversations and meetings and how many lunches you take them out to. But you just keep trucking, hoping to pay the bills and maybe a little then some, right? So you can finally do what you want to do. Thorns, pain, sweat tears. And I want to say it as, a, as an aside, okay, in all of this, you know, we find in our culture this heavy emphasis that you've got to have this grand purpose in your work. But but, but I think there are some in here that you don't have the job that you want. But you're working hard to provide for your needs. You, you don't like what you're doing. You really discuss the work you have to do, but you're doing it because you've got to pay the bills. And I just want to say way to go. Because I don't want anyone in here to think that the motivation to work and support yourself is a bad thing. The Apostle Paul makes that as a really important claim. He writes to this church in the small town of Thessalonica. He writes two letters to them, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And in both of those letters, he says, hey, work to support yourself. That's a really good thing. I don't want anybody just sitting around, okay? That's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And Paul makes that a, a very important point. So if you're working to pay the bills and you really don't like what you're doing... Still way to go. Way to work hard. But if that's all that your job is, at the end of the day, if that's, if it's just a job, period, just something for me, I want you to know it won't last. You won't last there. Your joy definitely won't last there. Because what's going to stop you from doing just enough to get by? What's stopping you from cutting ethical corners, although what you're doing is, quote-unquote, legal? If it's just about a paycheck, why be good at what you do? Or why even work to be better at what you do? I mean, sure, work is just a job for everyone sometimes. It's true. But if that's all it is, well, is it any wonder that we're so dissatisfied at work? And, And so then, therefore, so dissatisfied with our lives because our work takes up so much of our lives. Listen, this morning, no matter whether you're doing the last thing you wish you could do, no matter whether you think this is the furthest thing from your dream job, or you're tired from working three part-time jobs to make it, or frustrated that you haven't moved up in your current job, there's more to what you're doing every day than just a paycheck. It's more than just a job. And we need to hear the whole story of work to really grasp that what we need to do is we need to rediscover Genesis 1 and 2 and not just find ourselves living in Genesis 3, okay? And here's what we're going to find, okay? This is the thesis, I guess, of this morning that we're going to unpack in Genesis 1 and 2. And this is crucial, and I don't want you to miss it. This is why it's more than a job. Your work is how you love people the most. Your work, like what you do, not, not necessarily even how you work, but like you're the actual, you know, nuts and bolts of what you do your work is how you love people the most and i'm not saying what you do with your paycheck after you work is how you love people the most because listen work isn't defined ultimately by compensation but by contribution i'd say for most of you in this room your your net worth way outweighs your paycheck The value creation you bring to your place of business or the hospital or the school or the family in which you are engaged way outweighs any sort of dollar figure that is written on a check once, twice, four times a month. Whether you're a CEO of a multi-generational company or an entrepreneur, a -a 90-hour-a-week stay-at-home parent, or a -a 75-hour-a-week executive, a janitor in the local high school or accountant at the Fed, your work is how you love people the most. And if we can get that, it will transform your work from this cynical just passing of the time until we get to do what we really want to do, to actually a purposeful pathway to love people in every aspect of your day. So how is that grounded in this story? It sounds like a neat, you know, infomercial for something. But how is that actually grounded here in Genesis Well, let's take a look together. First, start with me here at Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. We read this. This kind of gives us some context. And the Lord God, he planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Jump down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Why? To exist? To just walk and talk with God? No. But to work it and to keep it. Although pain, thorns, blood, sweat, and tears and struggle, they come when God is pushed out of the picture in Genesis 3. We are still, before Genesis 3, made with work, like hard work, good work in mind. And that isn't lost in the story after chapter 3 of the story. Your work is meant to still be very good as God spoke that over all of his creation And it's especially, this is why this is so important in understanding how it's loving, it's meant to be very good for others. It's not just meant to be very good for yourself, but it's meant to be very good for others. How do we know God's good design in our work is meant to be for others? How do we know that how you work and where you work and your work itself is how you love others the most? Well, the first, if you just look at the big picture pattern of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see God's pattern in how he engages the world. God works six days and he rests one day. And being made in his image, right? We've talked about this. Being made in his image, we actually adopt his pattern when we seek to image our good God. Have you noticed that like the design wasn't rest six days and work one? Like that's not a textual variant. I've looked. It's not like, oh, wait a second. You know, they got that. No, instead, six days we work, we labor we wrestle in the dirt of life and then one day we step back from it all and we delight in God's good world. We rest. The majority of our lives have been designed to work just like our good God has set out this pattern before us. And there's nothing that will occupy your time and your energy more than your work. What it, our work is what occupies our lives most and we're made for it to be that way. And there's another affirmation to this and how our work is to be very good for others because of the job description that God gives us in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. Before anything, you know, before the world goes to pot there in Genesis chapter 3, he gives us a job description that clarifies what it means to be human, what it means to be made in his image. Chapter 1 verse 28, we read and God blessed them. Isn't that just beautiful that right there, if you just pause there, Adam and Eve, humankind, he blesses his creatures. And he says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So let's unpack this passage, okay? There are four, I think, key words that we want to detail out here. Actually, about five key words that I want to detail out here. And this is what's often called, you maybe have heard this before, it's called the cultural mandate the cultural mandate, this mandate right from the very beginning of creation and impacting the world. So here we go. Let's let's look at this again. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. Look first. He says, be fruitful. Now, if you grew up in the church like I did, or maybe I've heard this passage preached one time or another, you you've probably been told that once you get older, the point of this passage is that we're supposed to make babies. Okay, <laughs> let's just get that on the table. And in one sense, it very much is talking about that. It's not excluding that. But it's not exclusively talking just about that. Actually, when you look across the pages of Scripture, the word that's used there for fruitfulness also talks about productive work. Doing good work with good out- outcomes. When you plant something and you receive the fruit of it, that's a good outcome. And it's not just fruit for you. It's not just something you take and you stick in your barn, okay? And we get the hint of this at the second word that's in our passage. So look again, be fruitful and multiply. Our productivity, if it's to be very good, is meant to have others in mind. Others in mind. Read this generationally. Our work is meant to outlast our lifetimes to the children of our generation and the children's children. Like everything that we do, this fruitfulness, both the productivity and procreativity is meant to outlast us so that our children's children are now sitting in the fruit of the good work that's been done in God's good world. Which brings up this word called dominion have dominion over all of creation. Now, we are in a 21st century culture that has a great aversion to any sort of authority. And when you start to hear dominion, suddenly we start to think of the ways it has been abused many a times, talking about primarily manipulation, coercion, and abuse of creation and other people groups. But instead, dominion isn't just about overseeing One aspect to that overseeing is protection. Think of a king and queen. When they have dominion over a town or over resources, part of that is to protect it from spoil, to protect it from war, and to protect it from any sort of abuse. When a good king and queen have dominion over an area, they protect what is under their purview, right? There's a positive nature to this. And this is what it's meant to have, just dominion over creation, To have this conservation and protection of God's good world in mind. So when you bring just these first three terms together, this is what you have. With fruitfulness, multiplication, and, and dominion, we see how we're designed to do productive work by protecting and conserving God's good world for others yet to come. Do you see this? Right at the very beginning of God's design, this is what he's intended for us as human beings. And it doesn't stop there. Two more terms I want to highlight here. If it's not, it's not just about conserving. We see another word that doesn't necessarily jump off the pages as positive in our, you know, in our culture today, to subdue the world. There's another way, subdue is talking about making better what is before you. You take the raw materials of the world and you make it better. Like grain is good, but bread is really good, right? Like... You know, Andy Crouch talks about this. Grapes are good, but wine is really good. Like, there's an element where you subdue it. You make the world that's before you better. Not worse, but better. And conserving and protecting and thinking about generationally how what you're doing is going to impact those who come after you, yes. And to the point even that Adam and Eve and humanity thereafter is meant to extend the garden to fill the earth. It wasn't, never, it wasn't just meant to be some small garden in all of God's creation, but to now fill the earth with my order and my goodness, to think beyond our property line, to think of those that are around us, to engage the raw materials of God's good world and make it better. And so we hear this mandate as human beings made in God's image, a mandate to do productive work for others by conserving and making better God's good world around us. This is, and, and when you do this for others, even others you may never meet, you begin to get a glimpse on how this even comes to define love. How this, what you do every day, is how you love people most because you spend most of your time doing it. And don't we kind of see this everywhere? Like, I love going out to restaurants, right? And, And like, there is a key distinction between a waitress or a waiter who's just trying to get a paycheck and work for a tip and someone who genuinely cares even above and beyond. Like, it transforms the whole experience, doesn't it? Or you think about when you walk into a building... And when the floors have been mopped brilliantly, you don't even notice it. But if they're sticky because they weren't mopped well, you feel it. If they're too slick, you know, you, you feel it, right? Like there's an element in which good work well done, sometimes when it's done really well, isn't even noticed. Which also reminds us in how God works in the world that he does it so well, sometimes we don't even notice it. That God's a lot more like a janitor than we often think. When you think about a CEO and how he or she steers the company with a healthy and flourishing corporate culture so that jobs are created, employees are cared for, and investors are rewarded rather than milking everybody for their last time so that they can earn the greatest profit in and of themselves exclusively. Exclusive fruitfulness rather than communal fruitfulness. You know, think about this iPad. Here's, here's another example just to kind of give us a you know, broader economy kind of example I wish I was a better preacher, but I really can't preach without this thing. I guess I could use paper, but it's the 21st century, right? No, um, but think about all the people in the various institutions it took to put this here. How much training and effective HR took for these employees to work well with each other, to receive and to take the job? How much accounting so that the books were placed in the right order? How much preparation and janitorial services so the places weren't pigsties after these, you know, creatives are working in different environments? How much sweat and tears, failures and breakthroughs, how many neighbors love me in their daily work and then through me to you right now in this very moment in the creation of this iPad. Thousands upon thousands of people in their everyday work loving you in this very moment through their good work. Well done. Your work, where you spend most of your life, is how you love people the most. And that's part of God's design. That's not manipulative. We can actually celebrate that and who God has made us to be as image bearers. And when you start to understand a different story about work and how this is really the place in which we love others the most, that it's more than just a job, that your work, wherever you work, actually reflects God's glory because work is designed to be good for others, then yes, it's actually going to be really good for you. That doesn't mean there are going to be times of discomfort. That doesn't mean there aren't going to be times of suffering. Yes. But when we live into God's design, there's joy in that. There's goodness in living out the way we've been made. And when you live into your job description, you honor your maker. In the same way that like When a kite, like a really well-made kite, is flying high in the sky, it usually draws eyes on the beach. When a watch is perfectly precise in its time, it becomes reliable, celebrated, its brand becomes recognizable. Or when you think about when a flower is in full blossom, how it celebrates the gardener. Like in those moments, we feel like we're actually living into what we should be doing just because sometimes even working, even if it's not the job we wanted to do, but working because we know we were made to work and finding delight in that and loving our neighbor and the very things that we're doing. We bring honor to our creator such that people look on and say, there's something beautiful about that, that makes sense, that seems to really shine. You see, God has made us to do very good work, even if it's not glamorous, even if it's not culturally celebrated or even culturally recognized, because our God himself does many things that aren't recognized or celebrated. I mean, you see a God who plants a garden, and then he gets his hands dirty, and he forms us as human beings, and he says, go and do likewise. Continue to extend beauty and order for the good of others. And now your work is how you can love others the most. Who doesn't want that story to be true, like to feel true when you go into work tomorrow? When you walk into your office or you step into that classroom or you engage your trade or you nurture your homestead on Tuesday... If so, if, if if we all really want this, I think I don't think there's anybody in this room who says, nah, I'm fine with it just being a job. Like, if, if we all really want to want to see God's design and celebrate God's design such that the work that we do now has un, unbelievable purpose in caring for and loving others, how do we start living into this better story? Like, how do we approach our work as more than just a job? And I want to give you three steps that I think are crucial and helpful here. And the first is start your, right, your work day with the right motivation. Start your work day with the right mo- motivation. I, I know many of you are discontent with your jobs. Many of you are looking for jobs. Many of you are studying in school, preparing for jobs. And some of you have told me, hey, I can't wait to do something meaningful with my life. I feel like I'm in a holding cell. And there's part of that. Listen, get your resume up to date. Try to find new opportunities. That's actually good work in and of itself. And we live in, in an, you know, an economy and a culture where there is mobility. That's fine. But where that breaks down is with the understanding, the misunderstanding that what you're doing, even in the job search, in education, or even at a job that you feel like is not the one you want to be in, is somehow lacking any sort of meaning, That's where it breaks down. What God is saying is what you're doing right now in the search for a job, in the preparing for a job, or even a job you don't want to be as you wait for the job you'd like to be, that's very meaningful to me now, and it's a way to love the people you're with right now. You haven't now lost the grand vision that I have for your life, but it's very purposeful, and it's good. Lean into it while you're there. And so instead of starting your day looking in the mirror, like I did with East of Chicago Pizza Company, telling yourself, it's just a job. Instead, start your day with a prayer, the right motivation. And here it is. Help me, God, to see how I am loving others in my work today. And help me to be better at it. Don't just go up there and say, it's just a job. I'll get through this, and then I'll do what I want. No, say, help me, God. To see how I'm loving others in my work today, like right now, and to be better at it. Start with the right motivation, with prayer, with a better and truer motivation. Second, I'm excited to say that every like, individual or family unit is getting a free copy of a new book uh, that just came out, The Economics of Neighborly Love, that really helps kind of detail that out in, in greater fashion here. It was written by one of our senior pastors, Tom Nelson. It's a great book. I'm not just saying that to, you know, toe the party line or something like that. You know, it's a really, it's a really good book. I'm in the midst of it myself right now. And um, listen, this, this conversation is a place that the church is often overlooked. So often the church makes their emphasis about the weekend. Come to the church services. This is where you can make an impact. And that's True. But what we've missed is that the most dynamic area for the church is the commissioned church in the place in which they work, where they spend the majority of their time. And, and we know with this book, with us as pastors and Sunday mornings, that's not going to be enough. Okay, we're not the experts on your vocation. There's too many unique nuances across the fields, in this room, in and of itself. You're the experts in very real sins. And so here's what I'd encourage you to do. I want you to talk through this book with someone else. Or even talk through this topic with someone else. Grab one or two other people. Read through the book. Uh, It's free. It's going to be back there on the table. You know, I wish we had like a real Oprah moment like it was under your chairs. I know this is the second week in a row, but I just, I want to finally say, look under your chairs and there's something there because then you'll always wonder. Um, (laughs) But but seriously, get through, you know, read through the book or or spend some time talking through this with someone who's in a similar field or the same field as you. And seeks to understand, okay, how is what I am doing actually bringing dynamic change within the world, in the broader economy, as a janitorial person, as someone who flips burgers, as someone, you know, who cares for people through waiting staff, as someone who's an accountant. You know, doing spreadsheets is really important work to the organization and flourishing of everyone who's around you. Those who love doing that, praise God for you. Like, that is such good work. And never should it be devalued. I'm serious. But get with someone who shares or is in the same field as you and talk about this. How, what you do, your work, is how you love people the most. Allow you to, to really, your imagination to expand on how God's working in your, your work. Think through who that person might be. Send them an email this week. Get together with them because, listen, this is, this is urgent. This is going to impact what you do every day. And I would think that's a pretty important thing to put on the calendar. And then thirdly, so not just start your workday with the right motivation or talk through this book with someone else and this broader story of work. Lastly, join a large group to think this through. And <clears throat> inside of Tom's book, you'll find just a little flyer, something that Christ Community's done, I don't know, for the past four to six years is the Common Good Conference. As we can continue to try to grow in this conversation, to learn as a church and to equip us together as a church to think well about this. It's on October The 13th, it's a Friday, I know, Friday the 13th, right? But here it is, October, Friday the 13th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. We're going to be diving deeper. We're going to have speakers like Amy Sherman, Andy Crouch, and our very own Tom Nelson helping us know how we can multiply leaders to really grasp God's design for work within a broader economy that is our city for the common good of our city. How to also be faithful in our work and fruitful and to grow in fruitfulness. And then thirdly, to see flourishing I see our culture flourishing as we see and find ourselves in this broader network of institutions and individuals. I hope you can join us um, because, listen, the, the reality is, is it starts with you for sure. And it's going to grow when you link arms with someone else. But it will go really deep when you have the opportunity to join us at Common Good 2017. I'd really encourage you to be there. Because, listen, can you imagine if we actually got this, like this started become, becoming the water that we swim in instead of, instead of it's just a job? Can you you imagine when this is the way we live and think? Driven purpose with greater zeal in the everyday such that there are no wasted minutes in our life? One thing that would be a result is we'd know greater joy at work, especially in the menial tasks that everybody else dreads doing because you'd see greater purpose and meaning even there. Janitors and CEOs would appreciate each other's work and would actually work for the flourishing of each other. They would see themselves as intimately interconnected, not just one over the other, but intimately interconnected for the common good of each other and the broader city. No one would see their job as a holding cell until the real job comes along. And and you know what would happen within our city? Our city would celebrate the church at work. They would start saying, man, I want some more Christians in my workplace because they get this more than almost anybody else I've seen because they're passionate. Even to do those mundane things that everybody else is like groaning about, somehow they're have they like engaged in that and they understand there's purpose in that. Like people, they they get that? And then, of course, it'll cause the people around you in your workspace to begin to ask about the hope you have in Christ because they're going to want to know why your story about work is so much different than theirs. They're going to want to know, okay, is this just a shallow smile because you're the bubbly person or is there like really a story behind this? Your work is more than just a job. No matter where you find yourself, your work is more than just a job, more than just a paycheck. May God help us to see how we already love others most on Tuesday and may we get better at it. Let's pray. God, I'm I'm aware um, that I don't think there's ever been a time in the history of the church where we've thought, oh, work is inherently good. Um, And yet, that's what we see here in your text. Not that there aren't distortions of work and unjust aspects of work, but we've been designed to work. And I know this conversation, it brings up so many different pieces. For those who are looking for jobs and feel inadequate, may you just affirm their image of godness, that they they are still people of great dignity and worth, and may you find and help guide them towards places of good work and self-supporting and then also fruitfulness to others beyond themselves. God, I pray for those who are in education, who are preparing for work, that are doing the work of preparation. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless them, strengthen them, and for the countless folks that are in this room, who are in their work and may not find great delight in their work or wrestle with their work or feel like it's meaningless may you continue to infuse purpose and hope to see your design even in good work well done where they may be in a place where they don't want to be god this is the power of the gospel that it touches every square inch of our lives by your spirit may you continue to move your church in dynamic ways so that the gospel might have greater plausibility that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the biblical story would actually be something that changes everything about us and not just 30 minutes in the morning. God, help us. We need your help. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.